Good morning, everyone. It's great to be worshiping with you again today. I hope uh, you have found ways to remain connected with us during this time of strictly virtual services. There are many ways that you can do that. You can continue to pay attention to our social media pages, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, you can go to our website. You can look at past sermons and past sermon series and take uh, you know, an opportunity to listen to the things that we've put out there on previous series. You can subscribe to our email list. There's many ways that you can stay connected. And I just encourage you to do that, not just to be connected to our church, but to one another. Uh, why don't you take a moment right now and comment on the post, if you haven't already, say hello to all the other people that are worshiping with you. In fact, more than just a comment, why don't you go ahead, I want you to pull your phone out and uh, put it in selfie mode so that you can take a, take a picture very quickly. We're going to do the same thing right now uh, here. You can kind of see, say hey to Jake and Jonathan right there. It's uh, great to be worshiping with you guys. And uh, comment and say hello to everyone. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're continuing our Dying Declaration series today talking about the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. Now, last week we talked about uh, the time that Jesus was on the cross, and he saw uh, Mary and, and John, and he spoke to them. And he said a few things that we have to really remember, some things that we need to make sure that we don't forget. We talked about how God longs to show us compassion. When Jesus looked down and he saw Mary, he wanted to make sure that her needs were met. And we see that the same care that he had for his mother, he extends to us. We read that great passage in, in Scripture that says that we have been engraved in His hands. Not just that our names have been written you know, in, in word, but through the nails that held Jesus on the cross, our, our lives and our names have been engraved in His palms through the sacrifice that He made for us. We know that we have to seek the things of God and not the things of the world. We need to seek His kingdom and His righteousness, not the things of the world. And then lastly, we know that we have to recognize Christ's expectations on us to fulfill his role in this world while he is in heaven waiting to return. After Jesus spoke to Mary and said that John would be her son, he looked at John and said that she would be his mother. And we know that that is his demonstration of telling John that he had to take care of her. And he tells us that we must take care of the world. We must do what he came to do in this world. We must sacrifice ourselves so people can be drawn to him. Now today we're going to be talking about another saying that Jesus said from the cross. But before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray and dedicate this time to the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your son. We thank you that he did go to that cross to bear our punishment, to take our sin, to take the consequence of our sin, Lord. For everyone that is hearing God through uh, this message today, let them hear your word. Let them be impacted by your truth. Father, I just pray that lives are changed and that we would surrender our own fear, our anxiety, the distractions that we have. God, we can focus on you and let your Holy Spirit just draw us to you today. Change someone's life for all of eternity through your word. And this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to be discussing the fourth thing that Jesus said from the cross when he experienced separation from God for the very first time in all of eternity. And we find that in Matthew chapter 27. It says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it, they said, this man is calling Elijah. 
Now, this is a phrase that I think so perfectly captures the agony that Jesus was experiencing on the cross. Of all the things that he had gone through that day, he had been beaten, his beard had been plucked out, he had been whipped, he had been mocked, uh, he had been, uh, the crown of thorns was just driven into his skull, he was nailed to the cross, but in all of those painful things, those physical uh, painful things that he had gone through, he anguishes over the fact that he is now separate from God the Father. What we also, I want to just kind of hit very, very quickly, the people, when they say that he is calling Elijah, listen, they knew who Jesus was calling out to. They were just continuing to mock him. Mock him. They were twisting his words, literally adding insult to injury, saying, oh, well, he's calling Elijah. No, they knew that he was calling God. One way that we know that is many of them would have been familiar with Psalm 22, which is uh, really Jesus is quoting directly from the cross. I want to just read some of that with you this morning. We're going to start with the first 11 verses from Psalm 22. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel, and, and, our, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted, and yet and, and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not a man. I am scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you, who are he who took me from the womb, you made me trust it to you at my mother's breast, and on you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. We look at this passage and we can see clearly the connection uh, between what Jesus was experiencing and what David wrote in this psalm. Jesus echoes David's words, crying him out word for word, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And David kind of goes on, and I think it really um, it, it captures what Jesus was experiencing. He says, I am a worm. I'm scorned by man. I'm despised by the people. I'm mocked. The people challenged him to call upon the Lord. Listen, to all of this happened to Jesus on the cross. And later on in the chapter, it says that he was poured out like water. His heart had melted in his breast, that his hands and his feet had been pierced. They could, he could count all of his bones. He said the people would stare and gloat over him, and they would cast lots for his clothes. As we read in the stories of the gospel, we know that all of these things uh, were said or could be said about Jesus. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that, that if these notions were inherent in Jesus' statement, then when we look at the rest of Psalm 22, where David, he brings praise in that moment, we must wonder if those same notions are also inherent in what Jesus said. So let's just take a moment and look at what, what else is said in uh, Psalm 22. We're going to pick it up in verse 22 and read through the end, or read through verse 31. It says, I will tell you, or I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. For you, or from you, comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. 
All the ends of the earth shall, shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall, shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous, prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. When you look at this and you see that in the midst of feeling forsaken, David was praising God. You know, I had to wonder as I studied this, I wondered, you know, have I ever thought about it in this way that Jesus' outcry also encapsulated anguish and worship? That he cries out not just over the separation that he feels, not just because of his own loss, but because of who God is. To me, this shed some light on Jesus' attitude, you know, where he was coming from, from the cross. It absolutely was not self-focused. It was focused on God's holiness and an acknowledgement of what caused the separation that he was now feeling from God. It was sin. When we look at uh, this condition of sin, what we have to acknowledge is that God is holy and he cannot be in connection with sin. Maybe you've tried to read through uh, the Bible in its entirety, and I've, I've talked with a few people that have, ha- that have, and as they get to that book of Leviticus, they, they always talk to me and say, Pastor John, man, that's a hard book to read. It's very tedious. There's so many laws. God is giving law after law after law. And the question comes inevitably, you know, what's the, what's the value in reading that book of Leviticus? Well, what you see is in the book of Leviticus a, bu- a beautiful picture of God's holiness compared to the imperfection of his people. The laws were given as an element to be protecting the people uh, from God's holiness because in his presence without something to uh, protect them, they would have been, uh, they would have died. And so God had to demonstrate or he had to give the laws to protect them. We can go all the way back to the garden and see the impact that sin has on a connection with God. Adam and Eve, uh, they were in perfect unity with God. You know that phrase, oh, live, live your best life. Let me tell you, Adam and Eve were living the best life possible. They were living the life that we were all created to live, daily walking with God, physically in his presence, not a care in this world. They just were communing with the Lord, walking with him uh, in the garden. And, and on that day where the, the devil came and he tempted them and they ate the fruit, this is where sin entered into the world. You see, they chose to disobey the Lord. They chose to go against his command and sin entered into the world. In Genesis 3, we see that as soon as they ate the fruit that God had commanded them not to eat, they knew what they had done. They were aware of their condition. They were aware of their sin. They knew what had happened and they were afraid. It says that when God came to the garden after that, what did they do? They ran and they hid. You see, in knowledge of sin, it created separation. When God came into the garden looking for them, crying out, Adam, where are you? Uh, First of all, God knew where they were. He was waiting for them to come to him. But in their sin, instead of going to him, they ran from him. Sin and that shame created that separation from the Lord. It, It happened at the start. And we see it elsewhere in Scripture as well. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, we've talked about these scriptures uh, frequently in these last couple months. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. We look at these words and we see, listen, God is all-powerful. It starts off with saying his arm is not so short, his ear is not so dull. He can hear you, he can see you, he can help you. 
But because we have chosen to sin, because of the iniquity, because we continue to give in to those temptations willfully, we choose that sin over him, our, our access to his salvation, our access to his intervention has been cut off. Elsewhere in Micah, it says that uh, then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Again, it's our choice. It's the fact that we make our deeds evil that cuts us off from God's salvation. We know that familiar passage from Romans chapter 6 that says the wages of sin is death. And then in Habakkuk 1, it says that God cannot see evil or look upon wrong. It's very clear throughout Scripture that sin separates us from the Lord. But I don't want to breeze through uh, this topic without really emphasizing what it means to be separate from God. First, we have to understand that being cut off from God is the antithesis of what we were created for. I told you that Adam and Eve, they were living that life that we were all created to live. And they were there with God, communing with Him. And as you look through Scripture, the language and the imagery uh, that is used in the Bible that God uses to describe us really illustrates the depth of His eternal love for us. Throughout Scripture, he talks about how we are his children. He calls us his own, and he he calls himself the Father, illustrating the role that he expects to fulfill and the role that he looks for us to fulfill. At creation, it says that we were created in his image, and it shows just that great love that a father has for his children, and it illustrates the connection that he wants with us. If you have children, I'm sure that you can think about the way that you desire to connect with your children, the way that you desire to be with them and how much you love them. But as long or as much as you long for that connection, as much as you love your children, I think about my four kids and how much I love them and want to be connected with them. But listen, I'm an imperfect man. There is no way that my love would ever compare to the infinite nature of God's love for us. It is so hard for me to grasp that as much as I love my kids, God loves me so much more, exponentially more, infinitely more than, than I love my kids. That's how much God loves us. In addition to the image of a child, God use, uh, uses another familial symbol, symbol to illustrate the kind of connection that he wants for us. In the New Testament, we are often called the bride of Christ. We are the bride and he is the bridegroom. And Jesus, he even talks about marriage, saying that in marriage, a husband and wife, they become one flesh. We can take these two concepts and pull them together and realize that Jesus expects, or it's his desire, that we become one with him, that we are united with him. That intimacy that we see in marriage, it typifies the intimacy that God wants in the relationship with us. These images uh, of children and being the bride of Christ, they help us realize the type of connection that God wants us to have with him. He desires to be connected to us, to have the same connection that he had with Adam and Eve. He wants that same connection with us. But sin came into the world and caused us all to be born into death instead of into life, instead of into that connection. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now this death is more than just physical death. It is spiritual death. It is eternal separation from God. That wages of sin is death. It is that eternal separation that I'm talking about. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians that the punishment that we will experience, the punishment that is due, the consequence of sin, is eternal destruction away from the presence and the power of the Lord and the glory of his might. 
something that I don't, I don't ever want to experience. And God doesn't want us to experience that as, as well. He, he created us to be in his presence in heaven for all of eternity, but because of sin, that, that connection has been separated. In his infinite love for us, though, God sent Jesus into the world to bear our punishment. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53 says that we are all like sheep and we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. These two scriptures, they help us to understand why Jesus cried out the way that he did. You see, it was in this moment on the cross that our iniquity, our sin, was laid upon Christ. It was in this moment that he became sin, that every sinful thing, every sinful act, everything that you have ever done, everything that I have ever done, that separate us from God, it was imputed on Christ. Now, we often talk about this moment as if our sins were laid upon Christ's shoulders. Listen, I'm guilty of saying those words as well, uh, but they just, they don't adequately capture exactly what happened in this moment. It wasn't just that our sins were placed on Christ that he was carrying the burden. Rather, in this moment, when God looked down to Jesus, what he saw was our sin. He saw, what he saw in his son was, was as if Jesus had committed the sins that we were just talking about, the things that separate me from God. God looked at Jesus, and it was as if Jesus had committed them. And because of that, because he became my sin, because he became your sin, God can no longer be connected to his son, and that connection was severed. Jesus, he agonizes over this separation. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's important to note that throughout the rest of the Gospels, when Jesus is talking about God, he calls him Father, but not here. It's because he is, he is severed from that connection. He has lost that connection because God has turned uh, his back on him. When we look in Scripture in John 10 and John 17, frequently else, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says that he and the Father are one. But now that is no longer true because he has become our sin. Jesus is crying out as one stricken, afflicted, despised, and rejected. But not just by man, by God. We look in this and we have to realize that this was the first moment in all of eternity that Jesus was not united with God the Father. I want to spend a little bit of time to help us understand this a little bit more. You know, there are many concepts in our faith sometimes that I think people struggle with. The Trinity is one. The fact that God exists outside of time is another, that he is eternal. And, and this kind of, con- this notion captures both of them. We look at Jesus and he is altogether God. He's a part of the Trinity. He's perfectly connected connected and equal to the Father for all time. We see this throughout Scripture, and they help us to understand Jesus' eternal nature. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, to me, it's interesting to hear that in the beginning uh, of, John, of the book of John, he writes, in the beginning was the Word. You can almost make the argument that this might be the first scripture in a chronological Bible. But notice that John, <coughs> excuse me, notice that John focuses on this, that in the beginning was the Word. He's, he's showing that that Word is Jesus and that he is equal to God. He says that that Word was God and he was with God. 
and that he is the word. As we look and we understand the rest of, you know, kind of this point, he talks about how um, he was present at the beginning. He was with God. He was God. And him was life. And that that life was the light for all mankind. He is the one that created everything. He executed the command. When God said, let there be light, Jesus created the light. Jesus is eternal. His, his nature, when God ex- said the command, Jesus executed the command. He has always been. He has always been with and connected to God up until this moment when he bore our sin. And then in John eight fifty eight, it says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. Now in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the people and he's highlighting you know, many different things about them as Jews and uh, what it means in their connection with God. And he says that before Abraham was alive, he was. Now this really upset the people that were there. He's echoing the words that God gave uh, you know, uh, Moses when Moses was asking him his name uh, when Moses was at the burning bush. And he, God says, I am that I am. And so when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, the people get angry about two things. One, they say, how can you be before Abraham? You're just a man that's right here. There's no way that you're that old, right? They're thinking just physically. They're, they're thinking in a, in a finite you know, kind of construct, not realizing that Jesus is God and that he is eternal. But also they get upset because Jesus says that he is, he says, I am. He uses those words to you know, echo what God said to Moses, identifying himself as God. What Jesus is saying, he says, I have always been, and I have always been God. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, we actually see a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. And the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you know, they had uh, been thrown into the furnace because they refused to worship the idol. And while they are in there, uh, the king, he looks up and he says, wait a minute, I thought we threw three men into the fire. And because he had seen four, it says this in Daniel 3.25, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. When we look at that, we know that that is the pre-incarnate Christ. They uh, were actually seeing Jesus. He was there in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see elsewhere in Scripture, in Revelation chapter 22, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus, again, highlighting his own eternal nature. Now, the reason I wanted to spend some time going through this, through this is to help us understand Jesus's, it's called his infinitude. It means that he is eternal in nature. He has an internal connection with God. But in this moment, that connection had been severed. It had been cut off. Our sin was imputed to him, and he received the punishment, the just punishment for that sin. It's a beautiful promise that we see from God in this verse from 2 Corinthians that God had made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, our sin was imputed to Jesus and in turn his righteousness was therefore imputed to us. It's the greatest trade in all of eternity. He gave his righteousness and the rewards that come with it to us and he took from us our sin and its associated punishment. When we look at this, I want to make sure that you understand one thing. You know, often when I preach or talk about this passage from Matthew 27 or this Psalm 22 where it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, There are many people that have this question about this concern of whether or not God might forsake us. 
you know, like you, I'm sure the devil, uh, or like me rather, I'm sure that the devil has attacked you by reminding you of your sin. The devil will often come to me and say, you know, what about this, John? What about that failure? Can, can you really say you're a Christian if you've done this? Or, you know, all of these times that we have failed God and the shame that comes associated with our sin, the devil, he will turn that, he'll twist it to make us feel like God has turned his back on us, that just like Jesus, we are alone in our sin. Listen, I want you to hear me right now. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that God will never leave us or forsake us. So the question is, how do we balance what Jesus went through for sin with this promise? How do we balance that Jesus felt forsaken, yet God says that he will never forsake us? First, we can go back to the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, where, what did God do? Did he forsake them? Did he leave them in the garden? No, he pursued them. He went to them. He didn't run away. Rather, he went looking for them. He went and he found them an animal. He sacrificed that animal so that that animal's blood could be shed to cover their sin, and he used its hide to cover their shame. This demonstrates the Father's love that in that moment where the connection had been severed between God and his children, Adam and Eve, that in that place he pursues and provides for reconciliation and connection. The same is true in Jesus. What he did in Jesus is he sent Jesus, that lamb, to this earth so that his shed blood would cover our sin and that he would take care of our shame. That's what it means in Isaiah 53, 5 when it says that the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace was put upon Jesus. That he experienced the consequence for our sin. That in that place of separation that we were headed to, we were destined to go before we might receive Jesus as our Savior, Jesus says, no, I will take that place. I will take that rejection. I will be afflicted. I will be forsaken by God so that my children do not have to. The punishment that we deserve is what we read from Second Thessalonians earlier, that separation from God's presence and might forever and ever But God pursued us just like he did Adam and Eve, and he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to this earth. He says, I am here. I've sacrificed my son. He's borne the punishment for you, the, the punishment that you deserve so that you can be reconciled to me, so that we might be made righteous and restored to the connection that we were created for. Paul paints a beautiful picture for this, uh, or of this, in Colossians chapter 2. He says, And you who were dead in your trespass and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I want you to know that we have hope. We have no reason to fear. We have been brought from a place of death into a place of life. We were dead in sin and trespass. But because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are made alive in the Lord. We are forgiven and free. God has won the victory through the death uh, that Jesus died on the cross, and he imputes that same victory for us. That's how we know that we will not be forsaken, because we have been brought from that place of death to life, that Jesus bore that punishment of rejection for us, so that we might be with God forever and ever in heaven. But we have to receive that gift into ourselves. So my question for you this morning, are you walking in life? This week uh, on our Facebook page and through other uh, avenues, we kind of emailed out also a video on our Dive Deeper. And one of them was a scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 30. In verse 19 and 20, God gives a very simple command. He says, I have laid before you life and death, a simple choice. 
All you have to do is choose life. And as difficult as this might seem, or as difficult as this might be in our own power, God also gives a promise in verse 11 of Deuteronomy 30, and he says, this command is not so hard. It's not in heaven that you have to send someone up to get it, to bring it down so that you can hear it and obey it. It's not all in the sea that you have to send someone to get it and bring it to you so you can hear and obey. Rather, he says, the command or the word is near to you so that you can obey the command. Well, we've already talked about today where that word is or who that word is. That word is Jesus. And so what God is saying is that Jesus, the word, his word, is in us so that we can choose life. The question is, maybe he's not in you. Maybe you need need to make the choice to invite Jesus into your life so that you can walk in the life that he provides, the only life that he provides, and walk in the reconciliation and connection that you were created for. If you've never received that gift of salvation, I invite you to pray with me right now. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice that he made on the cross. I thank you that he came to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for my sins, that his blood was shed so that my sins could be washed away and I could be in connection with you, God. I know that he has taken the punishment that I deserve. Father, forgive me for my sins. Apply Jesus' blood to my heart. Apply his blood to my life. Wash those sins away. Lord, I invite you to come into my life and be my Lord, to be my Savior. Forgive me of those sins, Lord, and make me your child. Teach me to live for you and to choose life every single day. Help me to follow after you with my whole heart in Jesus' name. For those of you that maybe have already prayed that prayer or have chosen life, you've received that gift of salvation, but maybe you're not choosing life every day. Maybe you're not walking in that connection that you need to be. Pray with me now. Lord, I know that you're my Savior. I know that I have chosen you. I know that you've come into my life, that my sins have been forgiven, Lord, but I fail to choose life so often. That choice is put in front of me, and I always or frequently, Lord, will choose my flesh instead of choosing life that comes from you. Forgive me for those choices. Forgive me for those failures. I thank you for your grace, God. But I ask you, Lord, to to help me to change. Change my heart. Change my attitude. Help me to live for you. Help me to live after you. Lord, help me to walk in the life, in the reconciliation, in the connection that you created me to walk in. And I thank you for that today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and I pray that through hearing God's word today, your life has been changed, that you have made choices that will affect your eternity, and I would just encourage you to share the, the hope, the peace, and the life that God has given you through his word. God bless, and just I pray that God really impacts your life so that you can make an impact in this community.